specifically speak to us, we don't think the threat is there. But how many of you know that from the time when the, the British used to march out in a straight line and with other people of the opposite colors and they'd all just march out there all orderly and turn and everyone looked straight across the field at each other and you just hoped that you hit one another and they just stood there. How many of you know those days, that type of warfare does not exist in Iraq? They don't. I mean, the enemy is, is definitely not a bunch of gentlemen that get out there and smack each other on the side of the cheek with a glove and say, I challenge you to a duel. What are they going to do? They're going to use guerrilla tactics. They're going to do whatever they can to get the victory. And now in a day and age where you have uh, terroristic threats, they're not going to announce anything. They're just going to do what they're going to do. So when you hear about all the chatter and all these type of things that are happening, I, I, I got to think that uh, 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 an adversary is, is a little bit more shrewd than that, that, all this disinformation and misinformation. But folks, is it any real different in the spiritual realm? Same things happen. You know, he, he's a very shrewd adversary. And the word says that he goes about like a war lion, seeking one whom he may devour. So that same threat that found itself in the early church, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Here John was bringing this gospel of John to, uh, to, to really to announce and all those great scriptures that we talked about. John chapter 3, all these things, God loving the world so much. That 60 years later, all of a sudden he has to bring an epistle it's saying, what happened to you guys? Did you just ignore the threat? Did you think just because I showed up and I entrusted you with this good gospel, this one that, that brought the news of I did you think that you were off limits? Now, now folks in this room here, look, looking around this room, there were some Jesus-loving people, you know. You get a guy, pick up a guitar. It don't take much to get us excited about the Lord and loving on him, you know. We, we, we may go through our situations or have our struggles, but at the end of the day, you know, man, we, we love the Lord and we, we, we want to serve him. Otherwise, we wouldn't be uh, bunched up in a place like this tonight and want to hear his word. We wouldn't. So there's something inside of us. And undoubtedly, in this place, there's, some, there's probably some the, the Holy Ghost type people in here too, right? That you don't mind doing a little running, a little shouting, a little speaking in tongues, casting right. out. They, you know, that's just, sometimes that's just our persuasion. But, but sometimes... The, the enemy's not so so brazen to walk up with us with a pitchfork in his hand and a, and, and a forky tail. Right. How does he look? He ends up looking a lot like us. And I'm sure that in that early church, then John began to deal with a threat that initially looked a lot like them. Because that's the subtlety of the adversary. He comes up and he sneaks up on you. And it's kind of like, I, I believe it was one of the, the, the former Soviet leaders, I don't know if it was Lenin or if it was Stalin, but they talked about the, the, the way to destroy our nation specifically. They said, you just lull them to sleep. Then you crush them with an iron fist. And so you just get comfortable. And you don't think that the threat has you, much like the, the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor. Are you aware? Are you on your watch? Are, are you there? Because that's what he said. He said, we need to watch as well as pray, lest we enter into what? A temptation. He didn't say wholesale sin. He said temptation. The first thing that's going to draw you away is not the sin itself. It's the temptation to think that, you know what, we can get a little bit closer. They're not a threat to me. You know, folks, last week we talked about, uh, uh, we discussed really the connection and differences between 1 John 2.15 and the Gospel of John 3.16, where they seem to be saying some, some different things. But I was thinking about tonight, even as we was worshiping out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a real fight going on. There is. There's a, there's a fight going on. And it's not between us, so to speak. It's not between people. It's not between denominations or, or churches. It's a spiritual battle 
that has one desire, and that's to, to destroy the body of Christ and undermine the church of the living God. But he goes on to say, he says, he said, take on the whole armor of God. Uh, my cannon shooter over there, I'm sure he knows all about armament. That you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. He talks about stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with what? Truth, breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking on above all the shield of faith, where, and you can quench all the fiery darts of the adversary, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What's interesting to me, I see the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, but some of those other things are the Word of God, too. You hear what I'm saying? Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the, the sword of the spirit the word of god and the, the the shield of faith faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god so folks at the end of the day our biggest implement is not you know waving a, a white flag or a, a damp tissue paper or good intentions it's picking up something heavy <laughs> you know cheerleader or not come try to take this away from me even if i just drop it on your toe i'm going to at least be able to get away you know what i'm saying pick up something Heavy. I think the church has fought too lightweight too much. We need to pick up something heavy. We need to get yes. into those deep places yeah. in the Word of God and pick up something that we're actually going to be able to fight back with. Talking about 1 John 2, 15 and 3, 16. You know, one of them says in one uh, chapter 1, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 15. And what week are we on, Caprice? I have to ask you. 19. 19. Thank you, sis. He's on top of things. He tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The other one says, John 3.16, obviously, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And so I want to give you about six things to remember. If you weren't here last week, to kind of bring you up to speed. If you were, you, you need to get these if you didn't get on last week. Uh, a few things. Number one, what is it that God loved? Well, he loved order. John three sixteen. It was it, he loved what he created, but he loved it the way that he created it. You hear what I'm saying? The other day, I wrote a blog on my uh, on our website, and it, it had two cars. I believe both of them was a 2012, like a Chrysler 300. One of them was a picture of the car that came right off the assembly line. It was a perfect, pristine car. Some of you may have seen this picture, and it was just in its new condition. And in its condition, it had a full factory warranty. The other one, though, was a car that had been in a car show in 2012. Uh, uh, Chrysler 300, and it was voted the worst car in the show because it had been so tricked out and had been so manipulated by, by those that were uh, working on it that it no longer even remotely resembled a Chrysler 300. They had to ask what it was. They pulled the front off of it and put the uh, a front that was fashioned after the new uh, Chevrolet uh, uh, Camaro, and so it was. It looked like a Frankenstein monster. But the second they began to put the wrenches to that car, and they began to change, what happened? It voided the warranty. It, the, 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 the suspension system was different. The tires were different. The, the, the engine was different. The upholstery was different. And it, what, what turned into a car that might get you across the country many, many times turned into a car that was voted worst in show because it was such a fiasco. And, folks, it's, it's the same thing many times that we want God to love something that we recreate. We want God to put, put his stamp of approval on something that, that we've altered to such a degree it doesn't even look like or resemble the original commitment or the original equipment. And so he loved, he loved what he created in the way that he created. And the way that he created it was good, and he created it perfect. How do we know that? Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of lights, who there's no darkness at all, no compromise, no sin at all. 
And so that, that was the earth and the, the inhabitants that he created prior to the fall. So what did God love? God loved what he created the way he created it. Can somebody say amen? amen. Then the second thing we got to remember is the fall of men. Uh, the fall of man in the garden put the world in this adversarial role towards God. It brought about the, the, the world's inhabitants to, to a place where they were no longer after the image and similitude of God. They were no longer fashioning those things, but they were actually, now they were, they were after the image and the similitude of man, man that had been tainted. And so if I took that second 300 and I said, listen, I'm going to put that on assembly line, they're going to say, man, none of the parts fit. It doesn't look the same any longer. And so it's the same thing. When man fell, we got this fiasco Frankenstein monster that we tried to pass off for the original but the original, the factory would say, that's not our equipment. And so now, man, according to James 4 and 4, because they became friendly in the world, became God's enemy. The next thing that we, we learned was that God loves order. God loves it. God loves order. Now, if Nick failed to take orders and follow orders, how long would your career in the Army last? Not very long. He takes orders. You know what? The guy giving him orders also takes orders, and the guy giving him orders also takes orders all the way up to the, the, the president of the United States. And those orders come down, and all down through this descending, this, uh, what, what do they call it? The, the chain of command. There's orders that are all so given. I have my, 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 my Marine Corps guy back here and my Army guy, but in every one of those, there's a chain of command. And you know what? Ultimately, even though you may be in different branches of the service, they all start from the same place. They, they start from those joint chiefs of staff. But there's an order. So also God loves order. And the order of things for God is always holy and always righteous. And it always requires adhering to the standards and demands of a holy and righteous God that he created when he first created everything. So he loves order, so he created everything orderly. The fourth thing was within God's overall plan, he created man to have dominion or what that word in the Hebrew is, the, the radah. He wanted man to have dominion or to be able to exercise rulership or governance over his creation. So God created this great world. And what did he say after he created everything? It's good. He created it. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he put man in the garden. He said, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to subdue. And I want you to take dominion. And so if you have dominion over something, what does that mean? You're large and you're in charge. You're the man. You get to call the shots. And so God put man in the garden. He said, you're calling the shots. You're going to be where the buck stops. Some of you may have a job where you're the manager. You're the boss. And you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what goes wrong because somebody's going to come looking for you. Somebody's going to want you to answer for everything, regardless if it was somebody in the military, a buck private, or somebody that's a lieutenant or whatever. They're going to go, and they're going to talk to somebody else. They're not going to go and find some scrub in, in the motor pool and say, you know what? It's all your fault. Even though he may have been the one to do it, they're going to follow up. They're going to go to the top of that chain of command. And they're, going to, they're, going to, they're, going to, they're going to blame someone. Who's going to be the blame? The one that's in charge. And number five, because of man's position, when he fell, everything that was under his authority fell with him. And what it did, it invited sin or invited the transgression of righteousness or it, 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 it invited uh, the, uh, the, the absence of that which was right or it invited that which was out of order, into the equation. And so what happened is man for the next 4,000 years lived under the curse of decision, which brought about the law of sin and death. Folks, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And so we cannot escape those things. So man brought about this decision, the fall of man, and for 4,000 years the law of sin and death reigned. Number six. Here's the good news. God 
a plan. God had a redemptive plan. He had a way of escape. He had a way to restore order. And it was by reclaiming the dominion that he, in his sovereignty, had yielded over to Adam. And the plan was that he was going to become God with us. He was going to be the second Adam. He was going to come down. God in the form of sinful flesh and percent. He was going to die death upon the cross of Calvary. He was going to be a high priest that could not be touched, that, that could be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, always tempted like we are, yet without sin. And he was going to be that, 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 that son of God and that son of man that came to, to reclaim that dominion. Here's what Romans 5.17 says. It says, For it by the transgression of one, death reigned through one. In other words, Adam fell. What happened? Everything fell. Adam had dominion. He yielded that dominion to, to a world that was fallen, to, to transgression. So when he fell, everything fell with it. For by one man's transgression of one, death reigned through one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through that one, Jesus Christ. So one fouled it up, and one fixed it up. Amen. And the one that fixed it up was greater than the first Adam. He fixed oh, it up, and what did he do? He came and brought something to us. I want to give you something tonight. That I think is going to be the key. You got, you're going to have to hear this tonight. It's going to be the key to really understanding what we're talking about this evening. And so Romans 5.17, he says this, For by the transgression, that transgression, what's another word for transgression? Sin. Sin, easy word, right? It's a, it's, it's a Greek word, peripatoma, and it means a falling away, a trespass. It means an offense, and some of you are going to catch this right off the bat. That word, peripatoma, also means a deviation. From the truth. I say also because some of you have heard me preach along these lines before. I want you to remember this. What brought about the fall was a departure from the divine order of things. What I mean by that is God said, here's what I want you to do, and they didn't do it. So what happened? Man fell. God said, I've got a divine call. I've got a divine protocol. I've got an order. I've got something, a standard established. And as long as you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to walk in victory. You're going to walk above this thing called sin. You're going to walk above every transgression. But the second you get out of line, what's going to happen? There's going to be a consequence. And the day that you eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, what's going to happen? You are going to die. He didn't say your heart's going to stop. He didn't say you're going to fall over. You're going to be six foot under. He said death is going to begin to enter in. And folks, for the next 4,000 years, man was under that death curse. It kept raining in men for all of those years and years and years. And so man became the, uh, uh, the, the propagator, and he became the one that departed from it because he yielded to the temptation, and he was presented with this deviation of the truth as he saw. We saw last week. What was it? It was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And the pride of life. And so what this did effectively, it upended order, and it injected that same darkened, chaotic condition spiritually that we saw manifested physically in Genesis 1 and 2. And so when man fell, what happened? Genesis 1 and 2 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what happened? The earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Chaos entered in physically. And we saw when man fell, the same thing happened. Chaos entered in. Man became, uh, they, they murdered their own brothers. They, they began to defile one another. All these things happened. And so for over 1,600 years, this condition reigned and waxed worse and worse until the spiritual debauchery required a natural response. Not unlike what we saw there in Genesis 1-2. And so what was that natural response? Well, 1,656 years after Adam came something called the Great Flood. And so the spiritual condition was so wicked 
that it demanded a physical or a natural response. Folks, it's the same way with people. You know, you take somebody that, that, that starts out and they say, I'm just going to have a, a few little drinks. I'm just going to have a few little drinks. And what happened? They give themselves over to, to, to a type of spirit, a, a spirit of bondage, an unclean spirit. They say, I can just live this way. What ends up happening? That which just was a spiritual bondage is going to have a natural response. One day they're going to wake up and their liver's going to be gone. One day they wake up, they're going to have harder in the arteries. What time? What up? It was just, I was just, I just had a, a little uh, struggle, a little temptation. Well, that thing that was spiritual has now manifested itself in the physical. Right. What about people that are bound by by, by, by lust and they begin to walk in, 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 in sexual promiscuity? One day they, they come up with something they can't get rid of. What happens? That thing that was done in the natural, in the physical, or a spiritual uh, beginning has now manifested itself. In the natural. So that's exactly what happened 1656 years after Adam that had to have a response. And what did it do? It nearly wiped out everything except how many people? Eight, eight people and the animals that were taken upon the ark. That ark was obviously a type of Christ. Eight is the biblical number for what? New beginnings. And so God was saying, listen, even out of that chaos, even though I had to have a natural response to a physical problem, I'm going to provide God. Uh, God is going to provide man with a new beginning. Now, every one of us here tonight that lay claim to the name of Jesus are the beneficiary of an opportunity for a new beginning. Are we not? If any man be in Christ, he's got a new beginning. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus Christ became that ark that allowed us to weather that storm, to uh, weather that, 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 that 40 days, so the 40 being a number of, of tests. And so God has allowed us to have a new beginning in Him. But this time, though, through this time, the foundation of divine order was established. And what happened in history, in, that, in, in, in ancient history, was that a patriarchal system was established. It included things like capital punishment. And, he, and he, what he ended up doing is scattered the people. He confused their languages in order to slow down the spread of evil. So even after that natural response to a spiritual problem, what happened? Men, once again found themselves still responding negatively to the transgressions that Adam had brought in. And so 400 years later, what does God do? He makes a covenant with Abraham. Jewish people are born. He operated through a system of faith. Why? Because the Bible says in a number of places, Abraham believed God, faith. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. 400 years after that, the covenant is ratified. When Moses receives the law, another word for law is order, a divine order. On Mount Sinai, and the law becomes the mean by which God's order is implemented and instituted in the affairs of man. And so for 500 years, this would be governed by a series of judges. Before 500 years later, they said, give us a king. They wanted something else. And so 500 years later, they got a king. And the, the, kingly, uh, the, the king, kingdom reigns in Israel would last about a 1,000 years until the birth of Christ. And then he would come to fulfill the law and restore order based upon the redemptive work of the cross Calvary saying, what does this have to do with anything? We're about to show you all this tied together. It's because God loves order. Everything that he does, if I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight with something heavy. I'm not going to fight with a little tissue paper and hope that God loves me and hope that I get it right. I'm going to pick me up something that's got substance because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You may not see this behind my back, but close your eyes just for a second. And when that thing meets the side of your cranium, you're going to say that boy's got some substance in that hand. Folks, it's the same way with the Word of God. We can sit around with our hands in our pockets thinking, you know what? He's not going to hit a guy with four eyes. Yeah, right until that gets driven through the bridge of your nose, you're going to say that. 
But that adversary, he doesn't care how sweet or how petite you are. He wants to rip your soul out of you and drag you into a devil's hell, screaming for eternity. But what is it that we battle with? We've got the sword of the Spirit, yeah. which is the Word of God. We've got something heavy. Amen? Come on. So he loves order from the smallest of some single-cell organism to the intricacies involved in the human eye to the very distance that the moon is from the earth and the earth is from the sun. All of those things. Who put those things in the, in the heavens? Who established where the positions of the luminaries is? God. Why? Because God loves order. And everything that he's done is set upon a concise principle of things called order. Order was God's divinely established plan. A lack of order or a deviation from that order opened the door for, for sin. Did not. You don't do this. Here's the order. The second they did it, what they do, they died. Order was reestablished by the cross and God's redemptive plan for man. But a lack of order is what Satan will once again use as his effort to derail that plan. You got saved. You came to Christ. Man, you were done with that old life. You were tired of beer drinking. You were tired of your sexual immorality. You were tired of all those things in your life. And you came to God and you said, you know what? God, I'm sick of that stuff. I'm not going to walk in that stuff anymore. I don't want to be bound by that stuff anymore. I'm going to get into the Word, allow the Word of God to get into me. You were praying. You were reading the Word. And all of a sudden, man, you got a little bit busy. You begin to kind of back away just a little bit. You weren't as, 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 as zealous as you were when you first got saved. You weren't as excited about it. You know, you know, when you, when you wanted to tell everybody about it, now if you just happen to get around to telling somebody about it, you know, it's really fortunate. What do you find yourself? As the song said, you find that little slow fade. Man, what happened to my urgency? Well, I got out of order. I got out of that plan and that purpose and that place that God had brought me back into where he wanted to establish his principles in my life. And so that lack of order is what the enemy brings. Folks, you get out of that word, you get moved away from the central truth of God's word. I tell you what, that enemy's going to come. He's going to begin to whisper things in your ear. He's going to get real close to you with things that sound pretty close to the real thing. That's right. He's going to come and he's going to bring something to you. He's going, to, he's going to present himself, as the word says, as an angel of light. It's going to look good. You know what? For a little while, you'll make an excuse for him. Doesn't it happen all the time? You'll make an excuse for everything the devil gives you. Why? Because as long as he dresses it up and, and, and just as I am or he wears the right suit, you'll make excuses for him. Why? Because it caters to the natural man. God loves order. But the world mentioned right there in, in last week's text in 1 John 2.15 literally refers to worldly affairs. So when he says, love not the world, do not love worldly affairs. In other words, those things that, that are related to the world, those things that are birthed out of the world. 2 Timothy 2.4 says this, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this world. Now, brother, if you got put out on the battlefield, I, I doubt very seriously you're going to, Look at your, your watch, your calendar, and think, man, did I pay that water bill at Jefferson Parish? <laughs> but now when you got stuff zinging over your head or you got an adversary out there that wants to kill you, you know what you're going to say to yourself? You know what? I'll worry about getting that water turned on when I get home. You're not going to worry about the, whether you're going to have to pay a late payment on your Citibank card. You know what you're going to say? You're going to say, I want to get out of this situation alive. Right. It's the same thing. If we war, we're not going to entangle ourselves with those things that are so trivial. We're going to make the main thing be the main thing. We're not going to strain gnats and swallow camels. We're going to set our affections on those things that are above. We're going to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, they don't entangle themselves with the affairs of the world, that he may please him who has chosen him to be that soldier's soul. In God's divine order of things, we're not to love or entangle ourselves in the things of this world. 
that are contrary to his righteousness or his rightness. So our text tonight, 1 John 2, 18 through 21, says this. 1 John 2, 18 through 21, he says, little children, he said it's the last hour. He said, if you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is the last hour. So the evidence is that they're here. They went out from us. How'd they go out from us? Because they had gotten close somehow. But they were not of us, because if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. In other words, they were with us at one point and something happened. We found out they weren't legit. If they'd been legit, they'd still been legit. But they went out. God did something, moved them out, that we might know exactly who they are. The verse 20 says, but you have an anointing. You have something that has separated you for service. So, folks, I want to say this real quick because we're a bunch of spirit-filled folks that are just ready to jump and shout and speak in tongues at the drop of a hat. You know, every time we hear anointing, we're just thinking, oh, hallelujah, i got chill bumps. Yeah, you might get that. But when he talks about anointing, he's talking about something that has been consecrated. So he's talking, he's talking more about sanctification rather than he's talking about some uh, momentary glorification. That's what he's talking about. He said, you have an anointing from the Holy One so that you can know all things. You have been set apart for service. You know what you're here for. And he said, I'm not written to you because you do not know the truth. You know, I was talking to a guy on the streets the other day, and he was raised in church, and everything I'd say, I'd see him mouthing the scriptures with me. And I said, you know what? Man, for those that know to do right and don't agree with sin, I said, listen, I'm not telling you a single thing that you've probably not heard a thousand times. I said, because I see you mouthing my words as I'm quoting the scripture. I said, man, you are without excuse. If you continue to sin willfully after you've come to the knowledge of the truth, you know there remaineth no more a sacrifice for your sin? What you've done is you've taken the blood of Jesus, you've made it a common thing, and you treaded it under your foot. Do you not know what you're doing? And he said, I'm not ready to say to you because you don't know the truth. He says, because you know it. How do, how do you know I know it? He said, because 60 years ago. He said, I brought you the gospel of John. I gave you the good news. I gave you the revelation of Jesus in, in, in this Logos form that you perceived in, in the rain that's changed and transformed who you are. So I know you know the truth because you know it, and no lie is in the truth. The reason you, I know you know the truth because I, I've seen it change lives. I've seen it change hearts. I've seen it transform people. It says in verse 21, I'm not written to you because you don't know the truth, because you know it, and no lies in the truth. In verse 18, the apostle John, once again, engages that audience. What does he say? He returns them to a place of simplistic faith. He called them little children. He said, little children. Now, folks, you know what? When you get big, so to speak, you know, my kids, as they start getting a little older, they didn't want to be called children anymore. But you know what? My son is big. Six foot four, 300 pounds. He doesn't even play pro football. He's a big boy. But you know what? That's still my child. He comes to daddy's house. I'm still daddy. He's still my son. It doesn't matter how big he gets. And so John, he's addressing these people and saying, listen, I don't care how big in your britches you got. I don't care how much uh, neat little things that you picked up along the way. He said, listen, I'm not patronizing. I'm not putting you down. But I'm telling you, from where I stand, from what I know, from what I've seen with my eyes and I've touched with my hands and what I've, what I, what I've heard with my ears, come on, little children. He said, I'm writing these things to you because I've got a position of wisdom and knowledge that you've not yet attained to. And so he gauges them, and he wants to bring them back to a place of simplistic faith, and he refers to them as little children. Now, I can walk in that nursery back there, and I can get my little baby granddaughter, 11 months old, be, uh, be one year old, the 29th of this month. And you know what I can do? I can grab that little granddaughter by the top of her thighs, and I can extend her out like this. 
There's not going to be a drop of fear in her eyes. There's not going to be any hesitation. She, you know what? She's going to totally trust Papa. Why? Because I've been picking that child up. I've been rubbing my whiskers up against her cheeks since she was first born. I, I, she, she, she smelled my coffee breath and she kisses me. All those neat little things. She has a simplistic faith. When she sees me walk in the door, she's coming after me. Why? Because I've always been there. She knows that I'm not there to hurt her. She knows that I'm not going to let her down. She knows that all she's got to do is whimper one second and Papa's there to gather her up immediately. She has a simplistic faith. She don't have to understand why. She didn't ask me for my driver's license to make sure that, that I came from the right. She didn't have to ask any of those things. I've just been there. And so John says, listen, I want to address you because I've been there. I love you. You've got my marks on your face. You've got my, my words in your heart in your life. I'm telling you something because I, I know what you got. And so he speaks to them. It's a term meant to bring them to that place of faith, not to a place of past experiences. How much, how much history does that little baby in that nursery have with me? Not very much. But there's a simplistic faith based upon a relationship that you can't even really comprehend or understand. It just happens. And so he said, I'm bringing you to a place of faith, not a place of experience, not a place of emotion, not a place of circumstance. He says, come unto me, little children. And he says, just trust what I'm about to tell you based upon the investment that I made in your life. That's what John was saying. Guys, listen, I, I know there's some people coming in with some slick talkers. Man, I tell you what, they've got the show going on. These guys can, can, can stir up an audience. Man, they can work an offering. They can do all of these neat little things. He's saying, listen, I, I can't compete with that. That's what John was saying. Listen, I can't even compete with that as some contemporary. I can't enter, out entertain those folks. I can't do those things. But he says, listen, haven't I been there? Haven't I always been the one? Don't I have a history with you that transcends all of these other things? And little children, I want to come to the place of just basic faith. Here's what he's doing. He's been very loving through this discourse that we looked at in that first chapter. Yet he's forthright. He addresses all those damnable heresies that have been introduced to church. He, he identified them. He's revealed the consequences of following after those, those precepts of, of trying to bring people back to a place of compromise and bondage and sin. Then he interjects this discord that we talked about last week on order because he wants to reveal this reoccurring means by which the devil works to circumvent God's plan and to cause them to fall from God's divine influence, which is grace. I'm going to give you something to consider. You will never truly walk in his divine influence apart from walking in his divine order. You will never walk under the influence of the Spirit of God in your life if you're not really truly walking in order. The reason I say that, you see these things like this all the time, and I've seen it for years and years and years. Us guys that are raised as Pentecostals, I, I tease all the time, I didn't fall off a turnip truck, hit my head on the ground and start speaking in tongues. You know what? I, I was raised that way. So none of this stuff's, none of this stuff's off the chart for me. I, I was raised that. I, I, I don't consider myself a charismatic. I don't consider myself somebody that got, was a mainliner and all of a sudden they heard about this neat stuff. You know what? My, my, my family was whipping and diving way back there. You know what I'm saying? And so it's not strange to me. It's not something that's off the, off the charts. But you will never walk in influence apart from walking in order. In other words, I used to hear people talk about, man, that guy was so anointed. Well, why was he anointed? Well, because didn't you see what he did? Huh. So the proof of being consecrated isn't not holiness anymore. It's who puts on the best show. Is that how we base things now? That guy's got to be holy. That guy's got to be anointed because 
Didn't you see all the things that he did? Well, come to find out, he was running around with his wife. Is that is that the anointing? Mm -hmm. well. It's not the anointing whatsoever. No. But folks, all we got to do is have a nice little dog and a pony show and a few tricks up our sleeve. And you know what, man? We'll have people swooning all over us. That's not order. That's out of order. That's right. God does not bless. God does not anoint order like that. I'll give you some personal examples. I started pastoring when I was 24 years old, 40, 47 in January. Now, now, folks, you know what you do. You do what you know. Okay, That's what you do. You do what you know, and I did what I know. And so went into this church, uh, Melly Knight Young, and the presence showed up on the scene after a few, little bit of spiritual cursing and all this stuff. He got saved in February 2nd, 1991. Went to this church, and I tell you what, we were the, on the worst street, the worst part of town, and all the worst people, or the best people. It depends on how you look at it. Every demon-possessed person in town was our visitors that first six months. Now, when I say that, you, you chuckle, but I'm serious. I'm talking about full-blown manifestation of the devil coming into church. Here I am is this, this buck-wild, young 24-year-old. You think I'm crazy now? I was really crazy back then. I'm just tired now. Amen. <laughs> and so we get these folks coming into the church, and you know what? Man, I've got a little exposure some for, to deliverance ministry. But the problem with that many times is it's more show than it is go. Yeah, right. you know, it ain't hard to stir up a devil. Mm -hmm. I can stir up a devil and somebody ain't got a devil. Right. <laughs> True story. Yeah. Give me 15 minutes, I'll make them think they're demon possessed and be riding on the floor like a snake. And afterwards, I say, What in the world did I do? What's, you know, polar act is all that stuff. Is you can manipulate people all you want to. People right. do it all the time. Have you ever been to one of these fairgrounds and they get these people up there acting like they're, they're hypnotized and stuff? And your buddy's one of them. Afterwards, he's winking at you. saying, hey, did you see what that show I put on? People are willing to do that just to be a part of the show. Right. And so I had all these legitimate, bona fide, devil-possessed people coming in. And boy, I tell you what, you know what, man? It was a show. Yeah. Man, folks would come in and they would freak out and say, man, that's some crazy stuff going over there at Day Spring Ministries at 713 North Johnson. Did you see that? Man, that guy had blood coming out of his ears. His eyes were changing color. He was speaking in a dunderable voice. And man, the more they talked about, the more we'd stir him up. <laughs> I've come to challenge you. No, you're not challenging me. Shanda Ikidoha. I mean. <laughs> totally, totally sincere, but totally ridiculous. Period. Right. One day I read in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Here's what he said. I love him when he spoke to me that day. He said, little children, son, come on, you lost your mind. <laughs> he said, you were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. He said, then God made you alive with Christ where he forgave all your sins. And he said, he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away. Now listen to this, nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You know what the Spirit of God spoke to me? He said, why are you putting up with all that mess? Why are you letting some devil come in here and dictate the order of your service? He said, that ain't decent and that's not in order. He said, order is you calling that devil down and telling that devil to shut up. He said, unless you're planning on sending him a birthday card, you don't need to know that devil's name. You know, unless he's going to be on your, your, your Christmas list, you, you don't need to know who he is or where he came from. Where are you from? I don't care where you're from. I know where you're going. 
Right. He said, stop entertaining that mess. Stop allowing the devil to come in here and dictate the order of your service. Come on now. I said, that's all I need to hear. Theatrics, it's over. No way. You got a devil? Sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus. Spiritual warfare. You know those people in spiritual warfare are some of the most hard of hearing people you're around. Gotta be. I mean, I got a microphone. I'm loud, but normally I'm not this loud. Man, they're the screaming and hollering as people like the devil sitting up there with, the, with one of the big cones in his head. <laughs> now, you get around spiritual warfare people, and I say that because I was a spiritual warfare people. <laughs> let's get out there and let's just shout the devil down. I tell you what, guys, if he had a mind to he got a bigger mouth than all of us. That's right. So we do this stuff, spiritual warfare, and let's get together and shout at the devil and shout, shout, shout. Man, we, we, we sing the wrong group song or something. Second Corinthians 10. Three and four, he said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He said, listen, your spiritual warfare could be a whisper because you're not fighting in the natural. You don't have to rent a helicopter and go spray squirt guns of oil all over everything and drive stakes in the ground with principalities named on. You think that natural battle is going to win something spiritual? Who are you trying to impress? Had to quit that. Now, here's another one. We all like it. <clears throat> Some of y'all are saying, I'm glad I hadn't done none of those things. I'm glad I didn't know those things. Well, I've done all, every one of these things. Yep. Here's one we all like. <laughs> we love the slain in the spirit stuff, don't we? Well, we love that. Oh, did you see them get slain in the spirit? Everybody's going, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, I was just looking through the word. I noticed John 18 got slain in the spirit. It was soldiers that came for Jesus at Gethsemane. Matthew 28, you know, when they rolled away the stones, more soldiers fell dead. Uh, Acts chapter 9, Saul fell down blind with the appearance of Christ. He was unsaved at the time. I, I didn't see a whole lot of healing, carpet time, spiritual things happening when that would happen in the Bible. So why does it entertain us spirit-filled people so much? Well, I got rebuke for that one too. Because <laughs> it's not hard to get people to fall to the ground. It's not. That's right. Push on that forehead look hard enough or shout or get just three or four people in the way to do it. Everybody else is going, I better go because I'm going to look like an idiot if I don't. <laughs> well, you're just going to look like an idiot if you're not really falling out of the power. Now, now, folks, listen. Again, I'm a spirit-filled boy. I'm a tongue-talking, devil-casting. I'm, I'm one of them people, okay? So I'd say this. But but hear me out. And, and I believe God can do whatever God wants to do. If God wants to knock you down, he's going to knock you down. They don't need anybody putting their leg behind you and pushing you backwards either. <laughs> he doesn't need that. And it's going to be for a better reason than what we give them. And you know what? When you get up, you're going to be different. Right. That's true. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, you're right. But what I saw is the same people that were so easy to get down with, the same people that showed up the next week just as fouled up. Right. And I'm thinking if an encounter with the Spirit of God was so powerful that it took you off your feet, wouldn't you think it would be powerful enough to transform who you were? I was praying for a guy one time that came into the church. Another one of these demon possessed visitors to the church. Anyway, every time I prayed for him, he'd fall out. Well, I thought that was kind of cool. Raymond, you remember Raymond? <laughs> They're all laughing because they know all these stories. They were there. Raymond just kept falling out. And, and the Lord kept telling me to pick him up. And I'm like, well, God, I just got him down. Pick him back up. Okay, pick him back up. So I'm sitting here, you know, I went about 300 pounds at the time, so it wasn't nothing. I could pick him up like a bucket of chicken. It wasn't no big deal. 
So I just reached in and grabbed him, ran him by the nap of the neck, and I just snatched that boy right back up. Now I've had a couple hernia operations and other stuff, so don't ask me anything yet. <laughs> So I just snatched up Raymond up and Raymond what pray for him and Raymond will fall down once again. You know what the Spirit of God spoke to me today? He said, pick him up, he's just running from me. He said, Don't you think this guy's been in enough churches? He knows if he gets on the ground, you just leave him alone, you just ooh and awe about how neat of an experience that was. Get him up and get him free. You hear me, folks? We just need something heavier than what we've put in our hands. We don't need to be waving hankies and calling it the anointing. Anointing, we need to pick something up that's really going to change our cities. We need to pick something up that's going to change our families. It's going to change people's lives. All that other stuff, don't do it. It makes for a good show. It, it, it sells a lot of tickets. And it gets the oohs and ahs. It makes for a great YouTube video. But at the end of the day, what does it do? That was what he was confronting right here in the Word of God. John 2.18, little children, it's the last hour, but as you know, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And you know it because it's the last hour. Folks, so he is coming, right? Now, you believe. I mean, I don't know where you are on your eschatology and stuff. I'm, I'm a, I'm a pre-tribber, but I'm not an escapist. I don't believe you just pray a little prayer and just hold on tight and live like the devil. And all of a sudden, you hear a trumpet sound and you're going to be out here. I don't believe that at all. I believe a lot of people are going to be shocked at who didn't get caught up in, right. in the rapture. Amen. Well, I, I thought he prayed a prayer. I thought he went to summer camp. Well, you thought wrong. He was living yeah. like the devil behind closed doors. I, I don't believe that, that heaven's going to be reserved for those that back Jesus into some, some religious corner by praying the rapture. I don't believe that whatsoever. But I also believe that we've not been appointed unto wrath. I don't believe there's a single purpose for us to go through that. But I believe an Antichrist is coming. He's going to be revealed during the Great, uh, great Tribulation. So when he says Antichrist is coming, I believe that's what John 2 18 is, is talking about. But then he says, many have already come. These antichrists are many, and he said they're already at work in order to lay the framework for the ultimate antichrist. All this stuff is in, in, in the works, and that's what he's saying right here in 1 John 2, 18-21. He's saying, listen, he's just dumbing everything down. He's diluting it down. That way, if you're if you'll buy into this stuff now, when somebody comes up on the scene and they're doing some crazy stuff, mm -hmm. and they speak with authority, you're going to say, man, I bought into that. You know, I, I ran to Toronto, I ran here, and I ran to Lakeland. So then if I ran there, and those guys were kicking and powing and banging and boom chaka locking, and I, I loved all that. So when somebody comes up, and they don't even have to say weird stuff. They're just doing some, some powerful stuff. Man, man, they must be legit. Don't we need something heavier than that? Don't we need something that's going to knock some folk out for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Come on. Many have come. These antichrists have come. Laying the framework for that. What that means is that which is, will happen is clearly laid out in the Word of God. Now check this out. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2-3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2-3. and 3. He said, So that you're not soon shaken in your mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, that's telling you that the day of the Lord is at hand. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2-3. Two he said, Don't let any, any man deceive you. Anybody, anybody ever been deceived by somebody? He says, for the day will not come. He said, listen, he said, it's not just going to happen. It's not just going to be accident. He said, the day is not going to come except there be a falling away first. What day? A falling away first that the, that the man of sin, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, would be revealed. He said, listen, it's not going to come. He said, he's just not going to show up on the scene. You know, he's just not going to saunter onto the scene unless 
It's set up by something. What's it going to be set up by? Well, our churches, we always preach, man, there's going to be this great revival. There's going to be great revival for the end of times. Well, you can't have it both ways. You either got to believe that we're standing on the threshold of Jesus coming back, and there's going to be a great falling away, or you got to believe that Jesus isn't coming back, and there's going to be a great revival. Pick up something heavy. Hold on, hold on. The storm's coming. I, I've got to believe one or the other. Now, I, I believe that revival's coming, but I don't believe it's, it's going to be something that's going to build up a circus tent. I believe it's going to be something that happens in some back alley that nobody knows anything about, and somebody's sister gets saved, and, and somebody's uncle gets delivered off of drugs, and this old gal over here that's been really struggling in a relationship, her family's going to get together. It's not going to be something that anybody's going to be able to sell tickets or placemats or, 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 or the latest worship taste tape from, from the New Orleans Revival. I believe it's going to be something that at the end of the day Jesus is going to get credit for. That's right. You hear me? But I believe what's going to make the headlines and what's going to sell placemats and sell tickets is going to be the spot in the way. That's what people are going to flock to. They're going to flock not to the revival that takes place in secret and it's openly rejoiced in heaven, but they're going to flock to the falling away. Right. Why do I know that? Because I've already seen it happen. Mm -hmm. That falling away is the Greek word apostasia, and it means to leave or to revolt from a previous place of standing. And if you remember that word I used, transgression, it means a deviation from the truth. It's another word that means the exact same thing as that other word. It means when that falling away is going to be just a deviation. All they're going to do is get off track a little bit of the truth. Just like that transgression we saw out there, parable Toma in Romans 5.15. And so that transgression of one leads to the death of many. So folks, all it takes is one widespread, leaven-filled, false doctrine that doesn't even have to seem too awful outlandish to infiltrate this truth and it will ultimately steer the body of Christ away from the simplicity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. Mm -hmm. Because somebody can show up with 666 on their hand and a cat by the tail. You know what you're going to do? You're going to run them out of the place. Mm -hmm. That's right. What if they show up with their nice little suit on? Right. Maybe they've got some, some Hebrew lettering on a prayer shawl on the shoulder. They're coming up. And they've got their King James Bible with the blue-eyed Jesus on the front. And they've got their, their boom boy and bow and all this other stuff. What are we going to say? Well, they got to be okay because they wouldn't be able to do that. they, they got to be okay. That's what the Bible teaches? No. The Bible doesn't say you'll, you'll know them by their vain, boom, and bow. It says you'll know them by the fruits. You'll know them by something that's being tested over time. First Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. Here's Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle carried heavy stuff around. Amen? Here's what that guy said. He says, when I came to you, brethren, he said, I didn't come with some superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Right. He said, I didn't have to show up on the scene and tell you I'm bishop this and apostle that. Well, and he didn't have to come and tell you all the all, all the all the all the things that he had done and all the people he'd raised from the dead. He didn't have to come and tell you all he didn't tell you all that stuff. What did he say? He said, I didn't come giving anything. He said, All I did is I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and who crucified. So that's it. He said elsewhere, he said, listen, if anybody had a right to boast about anything, he said it would have been me. But he said, I count all of that stuff as dung that I might win Christ. He said, I'm determined to not know anything, to know nothing. Folks, when Paul the Apostle said, know nothing, he didn't mean to be ignorant. 
Paul the Apostle was not an ignorant man. He's probably a certifiable genius, very educated, studied at the feet of Camille, a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day of a Benjamite, uh, persecutor. I mean, he did all those things that he was supposed to do as a chief Pharisee. And so it didn't mean to be as uneducated, it didn't mean he was stupid. It means he was it o, which is a term that means seeing is knowing. And you've heard it as seeing and believing. Maybe somebody here from Missouri, the show me state. So he said, listen, when I came to you, I didn't come to this place saying seeing is knowing. In other words, well, you saw what I did, or you saw who I was. He said, listen, I didn't come like that. In our language, it's, there's a greater reality than what I see, and it's what he said. He said, I don't care what you said. You see. He said, I don't care all these manifestations. He said, when I come to you, he said, I come with something heavy. He said, I'm coming with the truth. He said, I'm coming with something that can't be replicated, that can't be duplicated, that can't be confiscated. He said, I'm coming with something legit and real. He said, why? Because all these other things are going to pass away. Whether they be prophecies, they're going to cease. Tongues are going to be done away with. But that which is perfect is coming, and that which is apart shall be done away with. We see through a glass darkly. But what? In him there's no darkness at all. And he said, I'm going to show up. And he said, the reality is not going to be what you see. It's going to be what God said. He upholds all things with the power, with the word of his power. That's what he upholds all things with. He said, there's the standard there. Paul was saying, I've seen a lot, but there's no manifestation that will ever supersede the divine order of things as revealed by the truth of God's word. King David adopted the principle. What did he say in Psalm 119, 1911? You know it. <laughs> his word, if I hid in my heart, said, I will not sin against him. That word is imra in Hebrew. It means commandments, precepts, or order of things. David said, listen, I've established your order in my heart. I brought a divine order in my heart, so I won't sin against you. That's good, isn't it? That's powerful. God, let me hide your word. Let me get some order in my heart. That way I'm able to stand. Because I know what to do what right, and I know what not to do wrong. There's a standard. There's a, there's a, there's a barometer that's built into me from the word. He said, I've hidden it. And he said, I've hidden it Safan, which is a place in the most exalted or valued spot. He said, I've put your word at the most valued spot, at the, at the most influential spot, at the, the preeminent spot in my life. And he says, as long as I keep the word, that heavy thing that I got, in the place that it's the most important to me, I'm not going to foul out. I'm not going to deviate from the truth. I'm not going to be caught unaware. I'm not going to be taken off course. Why? Because my, my compass, the arrow of my compass is always going to be pointing true north. The deviation of the apostasy comes when anything else is allowed to take precedent over the word of God. Even my theatrics back in Texas. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. The Spirit clearly states that in latter times, some will abandon the faith. Some will depart from the truth. And they will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Isn't that crazy to hear that? The latter times, some are going to depart from the truth, the faith. They're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, is the way King James says. Now, what does the devil teach? Well, let's go back to Genesis. Oh, listen, you don't have to be in order. Nobody taught? I know the order he gave you. I know what he told you to do. I know he told you not to eat. I know he gave you a divine order that's going to have divine consequences if you do wrong. He said, but what I'm telling you to do, the day that you eat that, you're not going to die. Doesn't it look good to you? And he knows in the day you eat that, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. 
He's, he's trying to hold you back. He just don't want you to have as much as, as, as you're going to have. So what they did, they broke the order. And so, folks, what happens in the last days, we're going to abandon the simplicity of, come on, little children, i got something heavier for you. We're going to abandon the faith, give heed to seducing spirits, and something that causes us to walk disorderly. Follow. They'll follow to see. Follow means giving heed. It means to have your attention toward turn towards something else. It's the exact opposite of what David said. Now, 2 Timothy 4, 1, 1 through 4. I've got a couple minutes left. He said, I charge you, therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. He said, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and Doctrine. something heavy. <laughs> Doctrine. The truth. The word. He said, for the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, their own desires, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to see it. Don't want to consider it. And they'll be turned unto fables. Folks, when the word is abandoned or traded for something deviant, extra-biblical, or claiming to be revelation knowledge apart from scriptural affirmation, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Anything that tries to steer you away from the scripture, does says, listen, well, I, I know what the Bible says, but that's the spirit of Antichrist. Anybody says, well, listen, not, not, not everything's in, that's the spirit of Antichrist. If you don't have word, if you don't have Bible, you don't have anything. Amen. You're always going to confirm things, confirm word by the word. The spirit of God is never going to speak anything contrary to what the word of God speaks. He's going to speak always in harmony with this. And so you take some of the things, the big ones, like Mormonism. Oh, Mormon is good people. Man, they got all these neat little YouTube videos. And you know what? We had a presidential candidate that was a Mormon, a good family guy. We need to vote for Romney because he's not Obama. I'm not voting for either one of them devils. <laughs> you know what? The government's not going to be upon their show. It's going to be upon him. I vote Jesus. I vote none of the above. You're never going to see me mark a mark for a devil, whether his name's called Obama or Romney or Republican or Democrat. I'm not buying into that nonsense. Come on. Well, why is that? Well, they, they don't teach that Jesus is the Christ. Right. They teach that he's just another creative. You know, what about the Jehovah Witnesses? Well, let's talk to Bobby sometime about, what, her 60 years and 34 years, 34 years and Jehovah Witnesses denying all these things. What about local level Catholicism? You know, calling uh, Mary the co-redemptrix and all this stuff that she's equal in, in, in salvation. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. What about hyper-Calvinism or hyper-grace? What about oneness Pentecostalism that denies the, 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 the triunity of Christ? What about the kingdom now, the later reign movements, the manifestation, the manifest sons of God movement, the, the hyper-faith stuff, the, 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 the name and claim it. What about stuff like the Lakeland Revival under Todd Bentley, the, the drunken adulterer that was kicking people in the chest and all these great miracles that were happened by some anointed guy that people were flocking to. What about the emergency? What about all those things? Spirit of Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist, folks. Because all it takes to qualify for that is just deviating from the truth. He said, I'm telling you, Antichrist is coming. But there's a lot of that mess out there. Many Antichrists have already come and they're paving. What they're doing is they're bringing just a little bit of leaven in just to dumb it down just enough over time, just to hype it up to a certain degree that when he really comes, you know what? You've already let your guards down. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. He said, the coming of the lawless one will be done in accordance with how Satan works. 
I want to pay attention to this. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Now, folks, I believe. I, I, I said it once. I said it again. I believe in the power of God. I believe in healing. I believe in, in deliverance. I, I believe in all of those things. As long as they're in accordance with this. As long as they point towards Jesus and they don't point towards the natural man. As long as they're always exalting him. As long as they're not putting another notch in my belt. I'm all for that stuff. I want to see it. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen God work miracles. I've seen those things. He says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall live in the kingdom, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the will of God? Even our sanctification. Father, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? Yep, yep, done that. And done many wonders in your name? Yep, did that too. He said, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You that practice lawlessness. You know what lawlessness is? Disorder. Folks, this spiritual Pentecostal boy has been guilty of some of those things. But you know what? Just because I've been guilty 20 years ago, don't mean I'm going to stay guilty of those things. That's right. Ain't no way. I'm not beholden to some some error of my, my youthful past and just my, my lack of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying, here's, here's what I'm beholden to. I don't want to practice lawlessness. I don't want to be out of Order. First Thessalonians 5, 19 20. He said, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. He said, Don't scoff at prophecies. You know that scripture. But test everything that is said. Hold that which is good. Stay away from every kind of evil thing. That's what First John was telling us, folks. He's like, Listen, all this stuff is coming. And it's going to dress itself up like something that you like. We'll jump into verse 19 next week. We're out of time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we, we got to have something heavy. Heavier than our experiences, heavier than our emotions, heavier than all of those things. We've got to have truth. Lord God, even as your servant David said, you desire truth in the inward parts. We want to be rooted and grounded. We want to be studied up. We want to be filled up, Lord God. We, we, we want to have that standard hidden in our heart, Lord God, and placed in the highest possible place in our lives. Help us, Lord God. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give us an insatiable desire, Lord God, for your word. And ask that for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.